and amen. Well, well, let's stand to our feet and get into God's word for us today. Uh, we're excited um, to be able to see the resurrection of Christ and to proclaim it. We're in Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 14. Genesis chapter 2, verses 22, verses 1 through 14. You know, I'll start and you guys continue. Let's do it. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Keep going. I want to um, tag our text today, if I can. I want to talk about the resurrection of Jesus in the life of Abraham. The resurrection of Jesus Christ in the life of Abraham. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord God, for your mercy, for your grace, and for your goodness. We thank you ultimately for Jesus, uh, the author and the finisher of our faith. Lord God, there is nowhere in Scripture where we can't see Lord Yahshua. And so, God, we pray that you would make him jump out of the pages uh, as you wrote these pages in light of him, God. And, God, we honor you and thank you that uh, you raised from the dead as a declaration of our freedom from sin. And so, God, I pray today, Lord God, that there would be so much out of the wayness of me, Lord God, so that you can be all in the forefront and getting your honor and glory and praise. And in in order to do that, God, I, I need you to... Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart 
be acceptable in your sight. O oh God, our strength, our redeemer, in whom we trust. Save souls today as you did in the first gathering. Help someone that doesn't know you to say, what must I do to be saved today, God? Uh, help us not to condemn them, but help us to point them to the fact that condemnation has passed by through Jesus Christ. And for those who know you, encourage them. Encourage them in the resurrection life that we get to walk in because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. Have your way in this place today in Jesus' name. Everybody agree with that? Say it. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Um, the resurrection isn't really, um, and the death of Christ really isn't an alien subject here at Epiphany Fellowship, uh, because Easter really is just a continuation of what we've already been proclaiming every Sunday. And, 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 and it's only thing is we may put on a little something different or something, and a few more people may come, a couple more people may come, but look, we, we, this, is, this is the message that shouldn't be a special day to preach. The gospel should be preached every time a text is touched. And if the gospel be not preached from a pulpit where a text is touched, no matter how much Bible you got in, if you don't touch Jesus, the cross, and the resurrection, you didn't touch the text. Wish I had some help right there. And so, and so, and so in light of that, we, we just enter into doing what we all, always do every week as we gather to discuss the things of God by his mercy and his grace. The resurrection is uh, the central uh, idea that the Bible would teach. Uh, the, the idea of Jesus' death and his resurrection is, is central to everything in the life of the church. I like the way uh, C.H. Spurgeon said it. Spurgeon said, the resurrection of our Lord is glorious in contrast with his humiliation. It has in it sufficient, in it sufficient of glory to redeem his passion from the shame which gathered about it. He, he, he's basically letting us know and pointing out to us uh, that the shame of Christ's cross uh, is justified in light of the glory of the resurrection. And, 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 and what's beautiful about the Bible is that the Bible didn't begin talking about the resurrection of Jesus in the Tanakh or Old Testament scriptures, as we Gentiles would say. Uh, 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 the, the resurrection, as a matter of fact, Jesus Christ has been talked about since the Old Testament. He's been talked about from Genesis to Malachi. As a matter of fact, Jesus Christ bases the subject purpose statements of why he came based on what was written about him in the Old Testament. Y'all looking at me funny. Jesus told the Pharisees in John 5, he says, you search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life, but they all speak of me. In Luke 24, on the road uh, uh, to Emmaus, uh, it says, And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he spoke concerning himself in all of the scriptures. I don't know about you, but I wish I was there. I wish I was able to hear Jesus do, do what the old school preachers would do, call the roll. When the old school pastor would get to the end of the message, they say, call the road, doc. And he'd go from Genesis to Revelation, giving you typological pictorials of the person of Jesus Christ. 
And so Jesus Christ began giving, starting with Moses, giving pictures of what he looked like and how he was already being talked about. And as soon as he laid that pictorial out, and it says, and their eyes were open, and they knew that it was him. And they said, did not our heart burn within us as we walked along the way? If you think that wasn't enough, Jesus talked to Nicodemus, and Nicodemus came to him by night. And when Nicodemus came to him by night, he began talking to him about the essence of what it meant to be born again. And as he began to talk to him about the essence of what it meant to be born again, he says, you are a teacher of Israel, and you don't understand what I'm talking about. In other words, Tanakh law prophet's writings were sufficient enough uh, to paint a picture of who Jesus is. If that doesn't get you, in the book of Acts, the early church used the Old Testament as a gospel preaching format for Christian theology and spiritual growth. So we come here to a text today, and, and we come here and, and we look at uh, the life of Big Abraham, uh, a Big Abe, I like to call him, and, and, and we're here in Abe's life, and we see that throughout his life, uh, God called him to make major decisions for his glory. And as God carried him through by faith alone to himself, he calls him to leave his land and come into a land where he didn't know. And God made promises to him. Then he made, then, then, then after he got in the covenant with him, he always would do something in particular. He would give him a command, he would obey, and he would give him a promise. He would give him a command, and he would obey, and he would give him a promise. He would give him a command, and he would obey, and he would give him a promise. Then sometimes he would just give him a promise just because. And so, and so, so God would give him conditional promises and unconditional promises. Are you tracking with me? Unconditional promises mean you ain't got to do nothing. Conditional promises say, because I did something, now you do something. Okay, so now we come here to this passage, and he's called to obedience yet again. And, and he's called to obedience uh, 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 to be a pictorial of our Lord Yahshua. And so he comes here, which brings me to my first point. God challenges our heart without sometimes listing the benefits of obedience. Let me, let me say that again. God challenges our heart without sometimes listing the benefits of obedience. And so we look at verses 1 through 3, and we see something phenomenal. It says, after these things, God tested. Somebody say tested. Tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, underline that, whom you love, underline that, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him, Underline that, there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, underline on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. We're going to come back to all that in a minute. So Abraham rose early. Somebody said rose early. In the morning, saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and rose and went to the place of which he told what God told him. It's interesting here that God here does something that still to this day rattles me. God told Abraham that he was going to give him descendants, as many as the stars in the sky and the sands on the seashore. And, 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 and I'm, I'm pretty sure that Abraham was excited 
and glad that God finally gave him a child because having a child was extremely important in that culture because child, having a child pointed to legacy. It pointed to your name going on and your name continuing. That's why David was so excited and felt unworthy when God said, I am going to make your throne last forever. And David was said, who is me in my household that you should bless us like this? Abraham in his old age did not have any children. And God promised to not only give him a child, but give him many children. And so God provided between him and his wife, an old woman and an old man. He took, he unmenopaused his wife. Oh my God. Recalibrated the ovaries, raised uh, my man's testosterone level, Viagra-less. And gave him the ability to be enjoyably intimate with his wife. That's good right there. And and that's hope for some of y'all right now. And so anyway, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep going. I ain't going to look your direction. And 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 so God gave them the grace to be able to have glorious union with each other. And, 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 and a seed, a zero, was able to be planted. And so now she's pregnant, and she has an older body, and she, the Bible says she was a fine woman. I don't like the way the Bible series got her looking like she'd been in four fights. You know, she, she hair this way and everything, every which way. You know, uh, as you know, Sarah's a little finer than that. So she was a finer old lady. Amen. Uh, and, and she was with child, which would have been strange. They have the baby, and they're so excited that this is the child of promise. And they, and they say, God, thank you. We finally wanted children. Uh, um, 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 we finally got the child that we want. But, but in the midst of them focusing in on and enjoying the child that God had given them of their old age, which would have been the pride of their old age, the enjoyment of their old age, and in a sense, something that they put their confidence in. The very thing that God gave to them, the very thing that they were excited about the most, it wasn't a bad thing, but it was a good thing. How many of you know that a good thing, if you put too much hope in it, can become a bad thing? Yeah, and, 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 so, and, so, and so because some of us in our life, God has given us some good things, but we got too much hope in it. And God doesn't like competition. Because God doesn't like competition, he's always going to challenge you in the area of your life, oh my God, where, 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 where you put your hope in that particular thing. Some of you, God is trying to pry some stuff out of your hands. Matter of fact, God is trying to pry some people out your hands. God's trying to pry some places out of your hands. And the reason why God is doing that is not because he hates you. It's because he wants to expose you for who you are and it for what it is in relation to your life. Y'all quiet on me right now. But, 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 but the Bible says that he tested him. Somebody say he tested him. See, see, God likes to test his people. Listen, you thought you was going to get saved and you weren't going to experience no type of turmoil and difficulty. Some turmoil don't come from the devil. Some of it is from God. Oh, oh I'm by myself. But, 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 was, but, but what's powerful is this minuscule uh, uh, test for his heart had bigger redemptive historical implications for the larger scheme of history. Because when God calls us to sacrifice, when God calls us to put our Isaac on the altar, when God calls us to challenge, it's more than just about our heart. It's about the grand scheme of what God wants to do that's beyond us. How many of you know it ain't about you? You ought to look at yourself. You ought to pull out a mirror right now. Pull out your phone and put it on flip mode where it turns around in the camera and look at it right now. You should say, it ain't about you. Listen, your sacrifice, your pain, your hurt, and the things you got ain't about you. It's about him and what he wants to do through you. 
But even though he wants to do stuff through you, he's going to do some stuff to you. Because he can't do stuff through you until something happens to you. You're going to get that on the way home. See, you, you got to recognize that nothing's going to happen through you until he puts some plugs out and kicks some stuff out of your life that's in the way of the maximization of his glory on your life. When are you going to get it through your mind? When are you going to get it through your thick skull that this life ain't about you? He, the, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's your chief end, to honor him and glorify him and enjoy him forever. And so this comes into that scheme. So God tests us for three reasons. Test us for three reasons. Reason why he tests us, number one, is to improve the condition of our heart. Improve the condition of our heart. The heart is deceitful and wicked. Who can know it? And so that's number one. God, God will improve our heart. Not only that, he will, number two, he wants to expose your heart. Now, now he's not exposing it to himself because he already knows your heart. Okay, so, so you, you, but, but, but don't say to God, like, God, you know my heart. That's not a good thing to say. You know, when you're trying to do something and you're trying to expose your motives and somebody say, well, why are you doing something? Well, God knows my heart. He does. That's, you shouldn't like brag on where your heart is. Oh my God. Anyway, I'm going to keep going. Anyway, next, to determine the quality or value of what's there in your heart. So he does it to improve, he does it to expose, and he determines the quality of what's in your heart. And so here, he's not tempting Abraham, because God doesn't tempt anyone. James chapter 1, verses 14 through 19. God doesn't tempt anyone. However, he does test your disposition towards whatever in your life that you hold closest to see whether you love him more than you love it. That's why Jesus was in the garden. When Jesus was in the garden, he was wrestling through things. He was fighting through some things. And, 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 and he was, the Bible says that he was under such strain that he began to sweat blood. Uh, our doctors have been trying to find out what that is, and they called it some term. I can't even, my medical professionals, you can help me out. I don't remember what the word was, but all I know is, is that being separated from God in some way, shape, or form in his intimacy was difficult for him, and he started sweating blood and agonizing over it. And even in the midst of that, to sacrifice his own life, he says, yet not my will, but your will be done. See, I believe that's where Abraham is right now. You got to get to a point where you got to say, my will not be done, your will be done. See, every sacrifice in your life is about a breakage of your will. Listen, God is always about breaking your will. Why? Because your will is the greatest thing in the way of his will. How do I know? Listen, listen, Jonah, uh, you know, when he wanted to go uh, uh, not do what God says, it says, and Jonah bought a ship. He chartered a ship away from the presence of God, went down to the bottom of the ship. He put his money on the ship. He put his bet. If he was a betting man, he bet on the ship. But God, but the Bible says that God hurled a storm. It means that God blew a special storm that was particularly anointed for the will of Jonah. And he blew it into his hand and he put his pitcher's hat back. And then, and then he did like this and he, he spit some grace back this way. And he spit some wrath that way. And he, and he said, 
And he looked back, and there was nobody to catch. He was just throwing to swing up, swing it as hard as he could. And he said, wounds. And God threw it, and it spiraled from the third heaven, and it spiraled from the second heaven, and it spiraled from the first heaven, and it hit our atmosphere. And it burned through the atmosphere, and it hit the water, and then a storm showed up. And what did the Bible say? That the storm was so crazy that the boat began to break up. In other words, what Jonah had put his confidence in, that very thing, God anointed a particular storm to break it up. What in your life does God have to anoint a particular storm for? I just want to say yes. I don't want to go through all of that. I'm by myself. I'm by myself. I'm going to keep going. Pastor's by himself. Preach, pastor. Amen, lights and walls. I'm just letting you know right now is that God will get the glory out of you no matter what. He can move, he can move with you or in spite of you. But even if, even if he moves with you, he's still moving in spite of you. Somebody's going to get that on the way home. And then he says, it says here in the text, it says, says, he said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. God pouring it on thick. He said, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on the mountains which I shall tell you. And Abraham rose early. Now, you got to understand, it didn't say he went to sleep. It just said he rose early. My my man probably was wrestling. Now, now some of y'all say, well, that's adding to the text. You mean to tell me, he just said, okay. Okay, God, I understand exactly what you're doing, and I'm just going to fall in line with that. He wrestled. Man, what he was wrestling with wasn't just the loss of his son. He he was wrestling with the promises of God. He he was wrestling. He said, now God, he didn't have much Bible. You got to understand, he didn't have law, prophets, writings, epistles, and none of that. All he has was just the audible statements that God gave to him because there was nothing written down. But he started pacing the floor. I believe at night, uh, he's, he's like, you know, I don't, uh, he, he's laying on his bed. Sarah says, she don't know, she's snoring sound asleep. He's laying there, and, and, and he's laying there trying to figure out, how in the world is God going to promise me that through him, he said, through him, that I'm going to, the, the multitudes of the world will be blessed. He says, so, he says, so God can't go back on his promises because he promised here. He walked between the sacrifice and put me to sleep. And he walked in the pre-incarnate Christ through the sacrifice to say that he swear by his own eternality that he's going to do everything that he told me he was going to do. So I don't know much about God, but lately and fully based on his track record with me, he's not a man that he should lie. And because he's not a man that he should lie, if my son is going to be the one that who the, the lineage comes through to, for more and more people to come. Hebrew says he even believed that he could raise the dead. How in the world, with just a few statements from God, do you come up with God being powerful enough to raise the dead? But, 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 but what's powerful about this is what happens next. In verse 4, which brings me to my next point, God exposes his dramatic development of our faith in him. God exposes his dramatic development of our faith in him. Look at verse 4. It says on the third day. Somebody say on the third day. You, you ought to underline that. Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. And Abraham said to his young men, he said, stay here with the donkey. 
I and the boy will go over there and worship and come to you again. Did you hear that? Now, he didn't say, I'll be back. He just said, we'll be back. And, and, and in other words, he, he believed God, took God at his word. Even in the most difficult calling on his heart, by him putting his Isaac on the altar, he still had enough gall and audacity to trust God at his word. Uh, and, and some of y'all are so stuck up in your own opinion, in your own desire, that you don't take God at his word. But I wish I had some people in here that saying, I don't care what God tells me to do. I don't care how he humbles me. I don't care how he challenges me. Guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to take him at his word. See, some of y'all need extra biblical things. I believe in prophecy. I believe in tongues. But it ain't nothing like the word of God. Listen, if it don't line up with the word, it don't need to be heard. I'm just trying to tell you right now. It's, 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 I, I, I want to... I want to sniff the pages of this. I want to be cut and bleed Bible. See, some of y'all need to be able, y'all, some of y'all are struggling right now. God is telling some of y'all to do some hard things for him. And you sitting around questioning. Go even in your struggle. Go even in your tears. Go even in your pain. Go even in your frustration. Go even in your questions. Go. Because going doesn't mean you don't struggle. Because, because some of us think that you have to get it all together before you follow him. But, but if, if that was the case, none of us will follow him. But you're going to always have questions, but in the midst of the quest. But you can't let the questions overtake the quest. Because if you let the questions overtake the quest, you will never go where God has sequestered you to go. And so you need to get yourself together in Christ. Not by, without Christ, but in Christ and say, God, I'm going to follow you no matter what. And put it on the altar. So Abraham says, I'm going to go. I'm going to go. I don't know what he said to Sarah when, they were, when he was dipping. I don't know what you tell your wife. I'll be back. I'm about to sacrifice our son. God, my baby! You know, don't let it be a black mama like the funeral. You ever seen a black mama at a funeral? Lord Jesus. So he said, I, I don't know if he said, we'll be back. And last time they went out in a troop like this, they went out to fight a war. And so he goes out and the day before and he's gathering sticks, gathering wood, knowing that he's going to sacrifice his son. Picking up things, putting a knife together, maybe using that same knife to cut off things from the wood, knowing he's going to sacrifice the thing that's closest to his heart. But no matter how hard it was, no matter how painful it was, he says, I got to be obedient to God because God knows better than me. And so the Bible says that he tells, I ain't going to give you no more points. He says, I got three more, but I'm just going to keep going right here. He's, he, he's, he says, he's, he says we'll, we'll go and come back. And so they go over, and, and, and the Bible says that Abraham put the wood on his son. Lord, have mercy. He put the wood on his son. He put the wood on his son. Now, earlier he told them they were going to Moriah, and they were going up a mountain. Y'all lost that right there. And so as, they, as he puts it on Isaac's back, his only begotten son, Lord have mercy, he puts it on his back. 
and he starts walking towards the hill while the guys are back there, and they go up the hill, and they're going up the hill, and, and then the Bible says that, oh, y'all think, I'm, I'm, I'm playing. Look, 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 look at what it says. He, he, he go down. He says, he, say, he, says, he says, I and the boy will go there and worship. Hold on. Let me, hold on. I'm going to come back to what I just said. See, you know you love the Lord when you can call giving up what's closest to you worship versus a sacrifice. Did you hear that? <laughs> he didn't come. He didn't, he, he said, he said, he didn't say it was praise. He didn't say a sacrifice of praise. He said, we're going to go up here and worship. Listen, you know you growing when you get to the point when God tethers with your heart and works with the worst thing that you, that you want not to get rid of, and you can get to the point with tears in your eyes when you said, you told me to give it up, God, but I'm going to tell you right now, it's worship. Some of y'all said that's too much. No, it ain't too much. Matter of fact, it ain't enough. Oh, I wish I had some help. It's, it's not enough. Listen, Christianity ain't about getting your game up and going to the next level. I want to go to the next level, in the next level, in the next, all that. Sometimes addition happens through subtraction. See, see it's all about paradox. There is no gain without any loss. That's why before you can gain your life in Christ, you got to lose it. See, losing your life has to eventually turn into worship. When God got something off your life that you love, you should say, hallelujah to the name of Jesus. When he got rid of somebody that wasn't good for your life, you should say, hallelujah. When God takes you from a place even that you liked, that you couldn't see yourself leaving, you ought to lift your hands up and give him honor and glory and praise. You're not praising him for what's going on, but you're worshiping and praising him because of who he is. I'm going to keep going. So he worshiped, called it worship. He called sacrificing his son worship. He called putting his Isaac on the altar worship. How? How? Because he trusted God's character. See, when you focus on what God does too much and not on his character, you can't worship because you don't understand what he does. But you can recognize who he is without being able to mentally wrap your mind around who he is. Even though you know who he is. Without knowing fully who he is, but you're able to worship him for who he is. Anyway. And then he goes up and Abraham took the wood, the burnt offering, and laid it on Isaac, his son. He keeps saying that. Took it in his hand, the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them, together. Isaac said, now, I don't know about you, but Isaac, <laughs> a very respectful young man. Because Isaac, Isaac saying, <laughs> he says, my father, uh, here I am, son. This is a weird conversation to me. <laughs> Behold, the fire. See the fire? Check. I see the wood. Check. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? 
he asked a weighty theological question. Where is the lamb? Lord, have mercy. If I had time and I had an organ up under me, I'd tell you where the lamb is. Help me, Holy Spirit. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Woo! The text, Lord, have mercy. And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb. The, 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 it's, it's that God will provide for himself the lamb. So even at this point, he believes something that he doesn't quite understand. He believes that God is going to provide something he doesn't understand. Even at this point, even at this point, he's saying, I, I know how God is. He's up to something. I don't know why and I don't know how, but I'm going to keep pressing forward. See, see, it's okay. See, some of y'all got too many why questions. You don't, don't ask why questions. Ask some what questions. What is better? Because what has to do with development, why has, that's none of your business. All right? It's none of your business. So the both of them went together. And we said in verse 9, when he came, when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar. What is the altar made of? Wood. So he lays his only son on the wood. I'm going to come back to that. On the top of the wood, the Bible says, that Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Abraham said, here I am. He said, do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear the Lord, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And, Abraham, and then Abraham took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of, instead of his son. Oh, my goodness. So, 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 so he carries the wood up the hill. He gets up the hill, and he gets placed on the wood. That's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ walking up to Golgotha's hill, and the wood being laid down, and him laying down so he can get crucified. And the father is holding up his hand about to crush his only son because he was pleased to crush him. Y'all lost that. Then after that, God holds him back, and he finds a ram in the thicket, and then he tells him, to he, 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 he sacrifices the ram instead of. That's substitutionary atonement language. In, 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 other, in, other, in, other words, in other words, the ram, it, it, Isaac was supposed to die. Y'all didn't catch it yet. Isaac was supposed to die. Isaac was the one that was commanded to die. But even in the midst of death, God provides for himself something else or someone else to die in the place of Isaac so that Isaac would not have to die, but the lamb or the ram would die in his place. Listen, you and I were on our way to hell in a handbasket with gasoline drawers on. But thanks be to God for Jesus Christ. Because the Bible said he made him who knew no sin become sin on our behalf. The wrath of God was coming after you, flaming with great nostrils. Hell doesn't belong to the devil. Hell belongs to God. 
and we were falling into the wrath of God, but he sent his only son who came and he took the lashes for us. He took the whooping for us and, 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 he, was, and he walked the, the cross, that old rugged cross, up Golgotha's hill and they, and, 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 and they nailed him to the cross and hung him high and stretched him wide for you and me. And he bled. The, the old preacher said, didn't he, didn't he bleed? He bled for you and me. And he was a substitutionary atonement for us. And so the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus. The full brunt of the wrath of God unedited. Poured out on Jesus Christ. Un, uh, in other words, he experienced an eternity in hell separated from God on the cross by taking on each and every one of our sins. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think about my mess, when I think about my sin and that God put all of that on Jesus Christ and took out on Jesus Christ would have should have been taken out on me, but, but God being rich in mercy, Jesus Christ stayed there. He stayed on the cross. And he was so, this is so crazy and scandalous to me that even while he was on the cross, he was able to talk. And on the cross, he said stuff like, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He says stuff like, woman, behold your son. He says stuff like, I thirst. He says stuff like, to tell us that it is finished. He says stuff like, into thy hands I commend my spirit. He had enough gall and audacity on the cross to fulfill scripture even while he was suffocating and bleeding to death. And he did that for you and me. He did that for you and me. And he was buried in the tomb. But on the third day, he got up with all power in his hands. He got up. It's interesting that when he got up with all power in his hands, because none of the lashes were seen anymore, just the nail prints. That which was the specific pieces of our atonement will ever be a picture. He got piercings. Some of y'all got ear piercings. He's going to have eternal piercings. Ain't nobody in heaven going to have any piercings but Jesus. He's going to have piercings when we see him again. He's going to have piercings and a tattoo. Some of y'all getting on people's nerves because they got piercings and tattoos. But the Bible says when he comes back, he's going to have on his thigh, our thigh tatted a name nobody else knows. And, and one day he's coming back, and I can't wait till he comes back, that great day. Because one old day he's going to come back, and he's going to be with us. One day he's going to come back, and he's going to swallow up death. As a matter of fact, when God gives him the edict, he's going to be sitting at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And the Bible says that Jesus will get a signal from God the Father to say, son, it's time to go. And then as soon as he says it's time to go, the myriads of angels are going to ride up on their horses and gallop to the front of the throne of God. And this horse, a horse is going to appear out of nowhere. Jesus is going to get on this horse and push his linen back. And he's going he's to do like this, and the angels are going to button up his golden bulletproof vest. And then he's going to make sure you see his tattoo. But he also wants you to see his piercings because he's fly like that. And, he, and, and, and in his wool dreadlocks with his red eyes and his burnished brass feet, he's going to open and the heavens are going to open. And when the heavens open, the Bible says that there are 144,000 there, but then it says behind him there is a number that no one could count. And so we're going to get on our horses, those who are 
dead in Christ are going to get on our horses. And Christ is going to be in the front. And he's going to look behind him. He's going to say, y'all ready? And he's going to say, giddy up. And the cloud is going to take off. The, the horse is not even going to gallop. We're just going to ride on clouds. We're going to be cloud skating. He gonna, he's an innovator. Y'all ain't hear that. And all of a sudden, the people that are here on earth are going to all of a sudden go up. And all of a sudden, whoa, they're going to be like, wow, then you're going to be on horses. Then all of us are going to be there together. And people are going to be running all over planet earth and hiding. Then he's going to get on the Mount of Olives, Zechariah 4.14. And he's going to dismount his horse and his horse is going to go back. Then he's going to lay, then, then it's going to split from east to west. All of a sudden, down from heaven, it's going to be HD four definition TVs that's going to come all out, and everybody's sin will be laid before him. And so he's going to take the people that are in the holding cell called hell and put them back in their bodies to prepare them for judgment. Joel chapter three in the valley of Jehoshaphat under the Mount of Olives, and he's going to judge them for the deeds that they did. And then he's going to throw them into the lake of fire. Where people go now ain't the full wrath of God. When people die without God, that ain't even his full wrath yet. They're waiting in a holding cell, suffering until he goes and comes back and puts them in the lake of fire. But when the fire comes up from the lake of fire, it will, it will burn a whole bunch of things. But the Bible says that over those who partake in the second resurrection, the, the, the second death has no power. Those who have washed their clothing in the blood of the lamb, the second death has no power. The, in order for the second death to have power, I'm gonna give you this for free, that means the lake of fire's fire went up pretty high but it couldn't burn those who were with the Lamb of God because we have been rebuilt to withstand the wrath of God because we'll have new bodies, no more crying, no more dying, no more tsunamis, no more cancer, no more, no more disabilities, no more brokenness, no more pain, no more hurt relationships. We will live forever in a bliss with our king. And why? Somebody said, that's spooky. I don't understand how all that's going to happen. Okay. Just wait and see. Wait, wait, wait and see that when he comes back, he's going to put everything back in order. And the Bible says in the second Peter chapter three, that the heavens and the earth burned with intense heat. I believe that heat is from the lake. And old creation was melted by the wrath of God. And then John says, wait a minute. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And we will live in bliss with him forever. We not, I'm, I don't, I don't, I'm going to tell you this as I close. I don't look forward to the streets of gold. I could care less about them. I could care less about the mansion. I could care less about my outfit. I can care, I'm going to tell you this. I can care less about seeing my family members. I, I believe that when I get to heaven and when I get there and I see my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, I'm not gonna ask 
Well, what happened with Cain? Well, who did Cain go see? Uh, why, why, how, where was, the, was, there, was there earth before this? And how did this happen? No, 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 no. When I see my Savior, and I took one look at him, I ain't going to see my relatives. Who cares? They already been there. I'm mad they beat me there anyway. I want to look at his glory. And I want to get down on my knees before him. And I'm going to tell him, thank you. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you, Lord, for giving your life for me. Thank you. There is no heaven if Jesus ain't there. There is no eternity if Jesus ain't there. There ain't no enjoyment if Jesus ain't there. When I see his face, the face of the one who bore the wrath of God for me, I don't think I'm going to even see heaven because I'm just going to see him. And I'm going to lock my eyes on my Savior for as long as eternity gives me time. I don't want to learn. I don't care about learning new information and wondering what this showed me what it was like. And all. When I look at his wonderful face, all I want to do is kiss. I'm going to kiss the nail prints. I'm, I'm going to kiss his side. <laughs> and I'm going to hug him. And I'm going to weep on his robe. Forever. And ever. And ever. And ever. And I will shout with the people. Forever. Who have never gotten over the goodness of Christ. If you're here today. And that doesn't get you. There's a hole in your soul. That doesn't get you to be able to see him again. That's what the resurrection is about. The resurrection is about being raised and being with him forever. Every head bowed.